Hey, welcome back to Discourse from the Big Chair. I'm Steve Cuff, and joining me is uh, Stephen Coleman. And I know what you're saying. You're like, oh my gosh, how many episodes have you guys done in the last, who knows how long, what, couple months? Uh, it's been rapid fire. It's been coming your way. And that's because not only does Tears for Fears have a new album out for the first time in forever, but they're on tour. And wouldn't you know, Stephen Coleman and myself have made another pilgrimage to the greater Detroit area to see our boys. Uh, Mr. Coleman, how you doing? Fantastic. Just absolutely wonderful. <laughs> That's good. How are you? I'm also doing fantastic. I was, I was telling you, like, I think when we left the show, I think this is the best they've ever sounded on stage. I don't know if it's like my favorite time that I've seen them. Uh, that might have been when we saw them at the little tiny uh, Meyer Garden venue in Grand Rapids, Michigan. But mm -hmm. I have never heard them sound this good. I would agree not to uh, bury the lead here, but yeah, it's probably the best they've ever been. Yeah, it's it's wild, um, too. I, how many times have you gone to a concert? You're like, oh, this sounds better than the recording, especially with a band that's so meticulous about their recording like Tears for Fears. It's definitely a first with them and probably any band that I can think of. Um, yeah, this uh, this really blew me away and gave me an even deeper appreciation for the new album. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty fantastic and a solid opener too. Garbage '90s Garbage. alt rock band Garbage. Uh, wasn't a huge fan when I was younger, but they sounded great too. And I think I mean it's partially because these are two bands that have been around the block and clearly both known for their exceptional sound and production, but. Damn, this oh, was a also pie I'm knob. close personal friends with uh, Butch Vig. <laughs> you so are, you're close personal friends with Butch Vig. Which is why we can't say anything bad, otherwise Butch won't text you back. <laughs> that is true. If anybody, anybody listening, just if you care, I uh, have Butch Vig's phone number. It is phone. I've seen he it. He texted me. He's texting me. <laughs> yeah, you're not the thirsty one. Um, full disclosure, I am involved in a charity that he's helping run called Joey Song, uh, but he was going to try and hook us up with, uh, some VIP meet and greets or like some sort of like backstage say hello to everybody kind of thing. Uh, unfortunately it didn't work out because of COVID restrictions based on the venue. And I'm sure, um, the, uh, band's tour management, um, you know, one COVID exposure and the tour is off or postponed. So mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no harm, no foul. It was fine. But uh, yeah, just getting text messages from Butch Vig of Garbage. Unbelievable. The producer of Nirvana's Nevermind. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. Whatever. Humble brag. Sorry, <laughs> folks. But yeah, man, the, the venue, Pine Knob. Holy cow. Like, as far as amphitheaters go, it's interesting because I, it really is feast or famine with amphitheaters, right? Um, mm -hmm. I've never experienced one that was just right down the middle, like, oh, it's got all right sound. It's either this is incredible or it sounds like you're inside of a tin can, basically. And it, this is, and maybe it's because we were under the pavilion and, and we had good seats and everything, but unbelievable sound. Just so, so clear. I felt like I could hear every single instrument distinctly. It was really a beautiful thing. Yeah, I was so happy because when they announced this tour, I was 
somewhat bummed out that they were playing predominantly outdoor venues. At one point, I even thought, well, maybe I'll just go see them at the uh, Forum in L.A., just because I know that's indoors. Um, but yeah, this is easily the best outdoor amphitheater I've ever been to, at least as far as like sonic quality. Uh, so thumbs up to Pine Knob. That was a beautiful sounding theater. Beautiful looking too. It's a good looking amphitheater. Good looking amphitheater. I mean, it's, it's built into like a ski. I don't want to say mountain because it's Michigan, but a ski hill. So it does kind of have this wilderness quality to it that, uh, it, yeah, nice ambiance. Maybe a few too many steps for my old rickety knees, but aside from that, I got no complaints. Yeah. Lots of steps, which is uh, great when it's the hottest and most humid day of the year so far. God. And it was, it was hot, too. It was... Yeah. I mean, what was it, like 92 degrees or something? And I felt every degree of it. Yeah, and I'm sure the heat index was like probably 100-something. It was incredibly humid, too. That was, that was the killer. Yeah. Oh, uh, even after walking. the sun went down, it was like an oven. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, kudos to our boys for uh, surviving on stage mm-hmm. in that oppressive weather. Yeah, they didn't melt somehow. I, I, I don't know how, but God bless them. <laughs> and I feel bad, too, because they were like, oh, you know, we were, we were down south, and then we were in, you know, North Carolina or something like that, or were they in Raleigh? I, I can't remember, but... Uh, but then they're like, Charlotte, oh, yeah. Charlotte, there you go. They're like, oh, we're going, we're going up to Michigan and it's going to be great because it won't be this hot. And, nope. Just, just as hot. Just as rough. That's the folly of everybody who doesn't live in the Midwest. They yeah. think it's always wonderful, no matter the time of year, except for the winter. But yet they come here in June or July and they learn very quickly that we're no more special than anybody else. It sucks here too. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Well, do you want to jump into the set list then? I do. Very much so want to jump into the set list. Uh, All right. Well, I've got it up here, and I hope this is accurate. So uh, I think it was cool that, you know, they've got this new album out, and they really didn't shy away from playing a lot of new material. And, I mean, would you say, like, upwards of close to half of... The set list, maybe, or at least a third of it was new material. Yeah, um, this was not a uh, nostalgia show, for sure. I mean, even though the big hits were there, but this was uh, to promote new music, and it was heavily promoted. Yeah. Um, And I'm very happy about that. The crowd seemed very happy about that. Yeah, they were Um, into it. And and I just just checked, so there was, it was uh, including the encore... 19 songs and six of those were off a new album so it's a pretty good ratio right uh yeah actually was it six or seven might have been seven let's see one two i'm just counting on air no big deal one two uh three four five oh you're right six seven 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 yeah so more than a bit of a technicality, but they also came out on stage to stay. So seven and a half, maybe ah. was a recorded version of the song. That's true. That's um, true. I don't think I really missed not hearing a please be happy. <laughs> I, I knew they weren't <laughs> going to play that. I don't think that 
Roland Roosevelt could stand on stage for two and a half minutes about his wife, a song about his wife suffering from depression. Yeah. Um, but one thing I didn't notice did not, or did not compute with me during the show was until maybe even two days later, they played the album. Obviously it wasn't uh, not consecutively in order, but they played the album in sequence live. So every song was played, you know, track one, track two, you know, the first two songs are no small thing. The tipping point first mm -hmm. two songs off the album. And then everybody wants to rule the world, uh, secret world, sowing the seeds of love. And then they go to four other songs from the new album played in sequential order. And I was mad at myself for not realizing that at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but they've made a lot of gotten made a lot of hay out of the fact that their uh, the album is perfectly sequenced, and seeing that in a live setting, it made a lot more sense. Like I feel like they sequenced it out perfectly as far as the new material. Yeah, yeah it it was it did it, it made a lot lot more sense, especially you know intermixed with uh, the the older material they were doing. And yeah, to your point, I mean, I just starting with no small thing, the tipping point. I think that's it's it's kind of a big flex. It really shows the kind of confidence they have in the new album, and you know they're just not some legacy band that's coming out to you know play whatever. Yeah, they had a point to prove, and uh, it was definitely proven. And I was very happy that we went with our friend Sean and uh, Sean Glynis of Optimism Vaccine and the Wiseman Podcast. For any Fred Wiseman fans out there. <laughs> a lot of crossover um, between our audience and theirs. <laughs> you never know. Um, he turned to me like midway through the tipping point. And he was like, wow, this is really good. And he hadn't heard the new album at all, to my knowledge, before we went to the show. I remember asking him, he was like, yeah, it just kind of crept up on me. I haven't listened to it yet. And I thought to myself, oh, this might be a long night for him. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I hope to the, the guys on stage, they were joking about it at some point, but they were like, yeah, so a lot of new songs from, from this new album. You should probably buy it. It's for sale. You could buy it. I really hope that there were some Tears for Fears fans there that just came to hear the hits and actually got sold on the new record because, yeah, a, a lot of these songs, even songs that maybe I was a little lukewarm on before, Hearing them in this live setting, it, it makes me appreciate them to a greater degree. So I hope other fans had that same kind of experience. Were we the only two people out of the 10 or 15,000 that cheered when uh, Roland introduced Secret World from Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, by the way? I believe we were. Yeah, that's that's correct. So. <laughs> Which, I'd gosh. like to think there were more, but... I, I liked it because I got super excited, but boy, did it take the wind out of everybody else's sails. Because you start with No Small Thing, then we have The Tipping Point, both sound amazing, two new songs. Then they kick into Everybody Wants to Rule the World, so the crowd's getting real hot, real hot at this point. Both, you know, literally and figuratively. Uh, <laughs> and then they're all hyped up, and then what do you hit them with? You hit them with The Secret World. And, uh, yeah, Coleman and I went completely bonkers bananas and everyone else kind of took a seat. <laughs> yeah. And, and obviously part of that, it's because maybe not being that familiar with the song, but I want to blame some of the weather on 
you know, folks taking a break during the songs that were less familiar. Because uh, yeah. the energy didn't totally seem to dissipate, but I mean, even before the show started, I mean, people are just like sweating their asses off. Mm -hmm. uh, not very comfortable. I mean, it's a, it was a very multi-generational audience, but there, there were a lot of folks that were maybe a bit long in the tooth. Yeah, 50s, 60s. <laughs> I think that was probably the core age. And it was. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're 60 years old, 65 years old, whatever, and it's 92 degrees out and it's 10 o'clock at night on a Wednesday, like, it, it's, it, you're probably not at your best. You, you could have a seat during Secret World. That's my time. You don't, you don't get that. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was really fantastic uh, hearing that. And thank God, because I was like, they're probably not going to play a single track off of Everybody Loves the Happy Ending, because I know they had to include so many new songs in the set list. Uh, I'm not going to hear anything, but I got, I got a little taste, a little taste. Yeah, I thought they were going to totally dump that album, too, and thankfully that's not the case. Hopefully, if they keep touring on this uh, wave, that maybe they'll add more at some point. Uh, rumor has it Everybody Loves a Happy Ending is going to be released on vinyl at some point Ooh, in the near future. I'll be first in line to buy that. Well, second I, behind you. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably have, uh, I'll probably pick up two copies right away just in case I break one. It's going to be very important. It'll be a very important day for me. How many copies of the tipping point do you have now? <laughs> uh, I have two on vinyl, which seems excessive to the layperson, but to many Tears for Fears fans, I'm way behind the ball. Like, I should have at least four or five different copies. The, the amount of colored vinyl and picture discs that have come out are just astronomical. Um, I've, mm. I've lost track of how many versions are available. I Spotify contacted me weeks before the album came out and said, Hey, you're one of the, you're in the top 2% of tears for fears listeners in the world. So we're going to give you this said, Roland and Kurt got you this gift, <laughs> uh, Spotify green vinyl. I, I didn't order it. Um, oh, wow. A gift from have... Roland and Kurt. And you looked that gift right in the, in the mouth and said, no, <laughs> I did. Wow. Unbelievable. Give horse in the mouth. How dare I? And, oh, and I have it on uh, CD. I have the Target exclusive with the two bonus tracks. Wow. So. Unbelievable. Yeah. I actually was looking at their website today. I was this close to ordering the cassette. Ooh. I don't think I'm going to do that, though, because I don't have the proper machine to play it with. Oh, and I'm also getting the Dolby Atmos Blu-ray version of it which comes in 5.1 surround sound, actually bought a Blu-ray player and a surround sound system just for this Blu-ray. Just for the is currently, currently held up in customs in Chicago. Oh my gosh. So it's you, I mean, you, you basically week. spent several hundred dollars just to hear the tipping point in Blu-ray yeah. audio. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Although I still have the Seas of Love 5.1 for the box set, so. Okay, so you get, you get multiple experiences. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, I'm really thinking about this decision as we're discussing it in my head right I'll, now. I'll tell you what, you can, you can bring it over to my place, too, because I've got, uh, my soundbar has Atmos in it, so we can, we can bump it on that, too. We'll get the oh, full nice. Tears for Fears experience. Need those yeah, I, I, I am speakers. very excited for that. Um, It'll probably sound great, honestly, because they're the type of band that, you know, they, they mix for the hi-fi crowd. You get, you get mileage out of it. 
Well, there's still things. I mean, I've listened to The Tipping Point multiple times. It's actually the, the album that I play when it's, I'm a bartender. When it's closing time, I start playing The Tipping Point, and I think I've trained a lot of regulars to know that when no small thing kicks on, that they need to start wrapping up. Mm-hmm. And by the time Rivers of Mercy comes on, everybody leaves, and it's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> that is. It kind of washes over you like a river of mercy, and uh, I guess you could say that the tipping point for bar time is is you know the tipping point. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> not not my best pun there, but uh, what? No, that was it. Was too perfect. <laughs> Dave, you're too sweet. Uh, anyways, okay. So, Secret World. And then they go into sowing the seeds of love, and I know I was going, oh my gosh, it's the best sounding, blah, 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 but holy cow. You want to talk about just a band sounding amazing. Sowing the seeds of love never sounded better. I was in awe yeah. of, of how great this sounded. Uh, just, I mean, this is a, a really densely layered song to begin with, and hearing it in a live setting and just being able to absorb all the little nuances of it was, a, it was wonderful. I feel like um, the specifically the keyboardist Doug Petty and their drummer Jamie Wallum kind of got a bit more of a spotlight this time around, or maybe I just noticed them a little bit more. I mean, obviously you always notice them, but um, I feel like their talents really came forward to the spotlight this go around. Mm-hmm. Um, just hearing every single bleep and belch out of uh, the synthesizer and uh, his keyboards and Jamie Walm's drumming was on fire, especially for the newer songs, um, which I guess we'll get to in a few moments. But well, yeah, because uh, after sowing the seeds of love, we got a little Kurt Smith interlude, which I enjoyed. (laughs) (laughs) And these are tracks that you know on on the new album I like them, but again, seeing them in a live setting really elevated them for me, and I feel like I've been listening to them a lot (laughs) since we got back, but. Long, long, long time specifically. Damn, that one, it, it's, it's been kind of stuck in my head since we saw them play it. And it, it, I don't know, it was, it was fun to watch too because I feel like Kurt seems really happy. Roland, it's hard to tell because he looks like a, a grizzly <laughs> wizard man now, but Kurt just looks like he's having the time of his life. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think... Um giving him so much exposure on the last album definitely helps <laughs> um because there's more of a balance now um and uh, long 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 time was actually one of the songs maybe i mentioned it in the previous episode i wasn't really sold on when i first heard it um but it's now become one of my favorites um and seeing it live was a thrill lauren evans their new backup singer i think i like her third show on the tour Mm-hmm. Did an amazing job, I thought. That that was crazy. And, uh, I can't believe she's only done it. She, she had only done three shows on that tour. What's the deal with her? Why why, why did they pick her up? What's going on? Uh, she's. I mean, as far as I know, I don't know a lot about her other than she's you know a session singer. Um, you know, probably would have been featured in Fifty Feet from Stardom if. She, I mean, I'm sure she was around at that point. The only thing I know for sure that she's done before this tour, at least in Tears for Fears related material, she is one of the 
background singers in Rivers of Mercy. Oh, okay. So she actually sings on the new record. Man, she was she was into it. Like she brought a ton, a ton of energy to the show. It was it was great. Only because I think everyone's been to a concert and especially bigger shows or or legacy acts, if you will, and they have background singers and they just seem like people who are there because they're getting paid to be there. They don't seem to be invested in the material that they're singing. And she was selling it, man. I yeah, I was into it. So good on her. And only three shows in the store, and she's already like it. it just felt like she had been with the band for years. I, I could right. not believe yeah. she told me that. Yeah, she was amazing. Well, uh, <laughs> here's the real test for the new album. You ready for it, Steve? So, back to back, my probably least favorite two tracks from the new record, My Demons, Rivers of Mercy. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, this is, this is my Tears for Fears apology. My Demons, in a live setting, big red strobing lights, just pounding drums, guitars, wailing. It was great. It was fucking great. I'm sorry. That- <laughs> no, I mean, I know I wasn't that kind to my demons at first either, other than liking the sound, but just having some minimal complaints about the lyrics, which subsequently having read interviews or listened to interviews with them, they sort of say the lyrics are kind of throwaway, which I actually appreciate. <laughs> like, there's not mm-hmm. this, like, bigger message behind it. It's just them kind of doing wordplay and thinking of things that sound good with the music. Um People might knock that, but I don't really think words need to matter all the time. Exactly. Anyway, I agree. Um, yeah, this blew me away live. I hope that that's a staple of their set lists if they continue to tour beyond this album. Yeah, it's, cycle. Uh, it's, that was incredible. And the crowd, I think, too, really cut into it. Yeah. Uh, Sean again made a comment about how good it was so that's another barometer for me <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it was uh, um, absolute banger absolute banger could not believe how great it sounded um yeah it's again like i i i don't know i i don't know why i doubted it but th- this is the kind of song too where i feel like if someone was unfamiliar with tears for fears or um just getting into them or, or or whatever i think that this is the kind of song that could probably turn a few people <laughs> towards mm-hmm. the band if, if you saw this in a live setting and I, I think that they're i don't know if it's getting an official single release but i know they put out a music video for it uh like two weeks ago mm-hmm. and i've heard that it's being played on the radio at least in england or like on bbc radio but we'll see i don't know if the studio version would necessarily hit as well as the live version does and like we're saying at the top of the show here today that that's probably the first tears for fear song that i've heard live that's just like whoa okay this is actually Mm -hmm. fucking great (laughs) yeah yeah really good and uh yeah oh shoot man and then rivers of mercy which you and I both dunked on this one. Yeah. <laughs> we I... did. Not fans. But the crowd was into it. 
And it was into it in an interesting right. way because I feel like there was a chunk of, of fans who seemed to know the song and were familiar with the new album and were into it. But then there just seemed to be a lot of people that were just, they just, they wanted a ballad, man. You know? You, mm -hmm. you, there was a good tempo yes. change. Because I yeah, can see this one as the, the right total moment. like popcorn break type of song, right? Where people are just like, yeah, whatever. But, uh, and that yeah, they're happen. And Roland even said, too, at one point, he was like, oh, you know, after the song, he's like, thank you guys for, you know, not, not putting your lighters up, but putting your cell phones up. And it, he seemed to be appreciative of the fact that people were so receptive of it. Yeah, and it was actually incredible. Like, I was sort of distracted during that song just looking at all of the cell phone flashlights in the air. And I thought this is a really cool moment um i still stand behind everything i said about the song in our previous episode um i haven't even shared that episode yet with the uh <laughs> tears for fears fan for oh, they're gonna come such. for you because i was out. just afraid because rivers of mercy is a big favorite and we and i've iterated you know for reasons that i think are still valid and there are still questions that i have but i've Rona softer touch for this song, at least anything that's not that intro. And seeing it live was great, but again, just distracted by how it seemed to captivate the entire crowd. Yeah. Uh, having seen these guys, this is probably the, the 11th or 12th time I've seen them. And just thinking back to going to their one of their first shows during the Everybody Loves a Happy Ending tour and seeing people sit with their arms folded during the new songs and then seeing this happen was was great um made me even a little emotional i don't think you saw that i i hid it did it did <laughs> but hiding behind you know, those uh those jabronis that wouldn't stop talking uh those guys almost ruined the concert for me uh but after a long long time they finally kind of shut up these two jackasses that were sitting next to me just like kept shout talking to each other throughout the whole show if it wasn't something from songs from the big chair seeds of love um eventually they finally calmed down but i was ready <laughs> to go off these guys at any moment um about to unleash and, that my demons energy right and they like kept yelling at these other guys who were right behind us and i almost jumped because in the row in front of us i don't think tickets weren't sold i think whoever just bought these tickets didn't show up but there were like four or five empty seats in the row in front of us almost thought about jumping forward but mm. i did not i did not abandon you <laughs> well you know what if you would have i would have understood that's that's totally reasonable <laughs> so ah uh, all right well uh, after rivers of mercy which got a warm reception they kick into mad world and this is another one where you know of course the place is going to pop off uh, mm -hmm. Kurt's up there having the time of his life. And I, th I think you know what to expect from Mad World at this point when you hear it live. It's, it's going to be great. Everyone's going to go nuts. It's exactly what you expect. But what I'd rather talk about is Suffer the Children because, holy cow, I did not expect to hear this and I did mm -hmm. not expect to hear it in the way that it was presented. And then when you told me that their backup singer had only been with them for, for three tour stops. I was like gobsmacked, could not believe 
what we heard. Yeah, and so their usual backup singer, Karina Round, I know she was doing this song on their most recent European tour and had been doing it, you know, during the first third of the U.S. tour. But I thought when Lauren Evans was going to come, I thought that they were just going to drop that from the set. Like, that's... I didn't know if she would have if she would sing in the same style, if it would work. And uh, I'm really glad they did, because it definitely worked. And I'm very happy that I got to hear that song live, even if it's not in its original arrangement. Uh, that was another kind of emotional moment. Uh, this is the first song... It's their first official single ever. And in some circles, you could consider it the first official Tears for Fears song that they haven't played probably since the Big Chair tour um, in 85. So that was a very, very special moment. And she killed it, too. She was absolutely great. Yeah. And this is a fun one, too, watching the crowd, because at first they're like, what? And then you just watch them sort of like lean into it. And by the end, they're like, yeah, like just freaking mm -hmm. out. Which, I mean, when you're talking Suffer the Children, that's not usually like a get the crowd rowdy <laughs> song, but people were into it. Uh, now, yeah. we talked about how I was afraid that during some of the new songs, people would kind of, you know, sit down, take a powder break. And certainly they did during Secret World earlier. But the next part of the set is what I like to call Steve Cuff's powder break. And that's the one two punch of <laughs> Woman in Chains and Bad Man's song which are not faves of mine, but I'm glad they grouped them together. I will say, though, I get it. I, I realize that it is, it is basically like a joke at this point that I'm the only person in the world that doesn't like Woman in Chains. Uh, but Bad Man's song, I still don't get it, but I get it for them. Because yeah, I get it for them. You you watch them just kind of like jamming on this song. You're like, okay, this is the part of the set where they get to kind of cut loose and do their thing. So you know what? Tears for Fears, you, you played 19 songs on this night. 18 of them were for me. Well, 17, not Woman in Chains. 17 <laughs> of them were for me. You can have one. You can take it. Just take, take Batman. That's fine. You can have Batman's song. I do want to say I felt a little bad for not standing during Woman in Chains. Um, but it just it was just too damn hot at that point. And I was more than happy just to kind of take a powder there. But um, I was very happy to hear that. I They haven't really played it that often in the last few shows we've been to, at least. Um, sort of been a weird omission from their set lists, but they still make plenty of time for a cover of Creep. Um, <laughs> no covers this time. Yeah, thank God. I, I mean, as much as it's sometimes it was a nice surprise, I'd see them every few years and they would, I think they did a cover of Billie Jean right after Michael Jackson died, which was fine. That was fun, I guess. But I don't know. I've never understood the constant covers of Creep. I mean, I guess it gets a crowd pop because most people don't expect them to do it, but... Mm -hmm. When I get to the point where I do expect them to do it, it's just like, oh, God, that that's my powder moment. <laughs> yeah, I, that's I mean, where I'm just like, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, I don't mind them peppering in the cover stuff, but I think if they if they changed it up, you know, like, uh, change, you know, switch up what, what covers you're doing. It is interesting, though, that as a band, they seem to have a fixation on the covers, which I like. Like, there's certainly the first time I heard them when they covered animal collective i was like oh that's 
super fun <laughs> and unexpected. I, I would actually love to hear them do that Arcade Fire cover. I prefer it to the Arcade Fire version. Well, I prefer most things to Arcade Fire just I, in general. What <laughs> what uh what Arcade Fire song do they cover? Uh, Ready to Start. Oh, okay. And they they completely rearrange. It's fantastic. Like it works as just like. If you wouldn't know it was an Arcade Fire song, it's just like, this is just a great pop banger from Tears for Fears that they released independently, randomly, in 2013. Uh, really good. Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, I definitely recommend it. I'm sure we've talked about it on one of the episodes, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, that if they played that live, I would pop for that, because it's just, they've completely made it their own. Mm -hmm. uh, it's great. That's cool. Um, but bad, going back to Badman song... Um, I didn't expect to hear, other than, like, I saw the set lists before we went to the show, but I listened to tons of interviews and in the promotion for Tipping Point and the tour, and I swear there's at least one where I heard Roland say, like, yeah, we're probably not going to do Bad Man's song anymore. We're definitely not going to do Creep anymore. And my fist went in the air when I heard that. Um, but yeah, I feel like that could have maybe been a moment where they could have brought another everybody loves a happy ending song into the set list yeah can you talk a little bit about some of the things that they cut from this tour as far as the set list goes like obvious omissions that you noticed uh advice for the young at heart wasn't played i sort of was thinking we would hear that um uh, Memories Frayed from the Hurting, that's been a staple of their set list. I was surprised to see that get cut. Um, and then Creep, obviously. That's pretty much it. I mean, every single tour I go, every subsequent tour, there's less and less of Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. Uh, the title track, that's usually been a mainstay of their set list. That's gone now. Um... They were playing Closest Thing to Heaven a little bit more frequently. That's gone. Um, and then every now and then they'll kick out like one song from Raul and the Kings of Spain. It's usually Falling Down or the title track. Don't see any sign of those coming back anytime soon. Oh, and Floating Down the River, <laughs> which is possibly my favorite Tears for Fears track that you can't find anywhere now. You can't find it <laughs> streaming anywhere. Uh, that's the one that I popped for really loud when we were at uh, Meyer Gardens in Grand Rapids back in 2016. Yeah. Um, Not going to get that mm. one again, probably. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> All right. Well, after Bad Man's song, I'm a little upset, but things get redeemed because they give me pale well, shelter. <laughs> yeah. And the crowd, to be fair, the crowd did pop at the end of Bad Man's song. Oh, and it's they, probably they were the. It. It's the best I've ever seen them perform it. Like, that was stellar. Mm. Like, at first I kind of groaned when they started playing it, but by the end I was like, oh yeah, great! Mm -hmm. Yeah, all, all of all of my uh, disdain for Women in Chains and Bad Man's song, it, it, it's a me problem. It's not a Tears for Fears problem. It's not a you problem, listener. You're fine. Uh, this, is, this is my own. This is, these are my demons. My demons are the Women in Chains and Bad Man's song in a set list. <laughs> you don't like the Steely Dan Tears for Fears song, I just realized. Oh my god. That's, that one really hurts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, that's that, alright. So we got Pale Shelter. We got Pale Shelter. And, I mean, that's one of the tracks that when, whenever we make these, these little jaunts down to Michigan, 
Tears Tears for Fears. I always look forward to seeing live just because it's one of my favorite songs by them. And every time they play it live, it, it takes it to another level. Did not disappoint. Mm-hmm. And then uh, follow that one up with Break It On Down Again. And yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... It always gets... I mean, it's a big enough hit where it's familiar. And mm-hmm. uh, they've... Every tour I've seen them on the last few years, it usually ends with the, the regular set. Usually ends with those three songs in that order: yep. "Pale Shelter," "Break It Down Again," and "Head Over Heels." It's a high energy way to end the show. Exactly, the regular set. And, and that's the other thing too is it, I'm like I'm pretty sure that this is this is when you know you're coming to the end. And then of course, "Head Over Heels," crowd goes insane. And then, but it's it's the false ending. And yes, oh, I'm, I'm brushing time, over. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, this time we got broken. We did get broken. We did, which that you don't, you don't always cool. get. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd never, I knew they were doing it every now and then, but I've never heard them play it. So that was, that was a little extra bonus. I was very happy with that. I didn't know that first was the time first I've ever time heard Rolling Sing live. Time Flies live. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Big, mo- big moments in Stephen Coleman history. Yeah. Now that was cool. I, I, I am glad they did the extended version. I guess I didn't think about that in, in all the times we'd seen them. I, I didn't even think that they had never done Broken. That's wild. Yeah. And usually, like I said, at the end of the song, he usually doesn't say time flies. He lets the crowd do it, which always annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to hear him sing. Yeah. I paid to hear him sing. I didn't pay my hard-earned next to me. money to hear some jabroni <laughs> in a polo shirt. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but I get it every time. Every time, except for except for a pine knob. I finally got Roland singing "Time Flies," and mm-hmm. I'm, and he's not wearing a polo. He's wearing a buttoned-up leather jacket the whole show. Yeah, with long pants. Everybody pretty much rocking the long pants and the long sleeves, except for Kurt. He was in his little what is it like the Fred Perry like polo style. Yeah, somebody called him out on tried to call him out on Twitter about that. They said, "Hey, how dare you wear a Proud Boy shirt?" and he's probably which, like what <laughs> he always no, he, dresses he, like that he snapped back immediately he's like no fuck those racists fred perry like stop making the shirt that they wear i'm not gonna stop wearing what i've been wearing since i was a kid just because of a few shitty racists decided that they wanted it to be part of like their fake uniform yeah good so for he, you, he was on it right away um yeah and good for him and hey if you know anything about the proud boys kurt smith definitely other than a high and tight haircut, Fred Perry, and being white. He's not, he's the furthest thing from a proud boy. Furthest thing. Furthest thing. He wrote Break the Man. Yeah. Which I love I, Kurt. I, yeah, I don't think the Proud Boys would love Kurt very much. So, Kurt's no, great. Proud Boys suck. That's, that's the takeaway here. Um, and uh, one thing I did want to mention, though, a little, maybe this is sort, something sort of subtle, but just you know as far as the band playing and sounding better than they've ever sounded the stage appearance is a lot different now too like everybody sort of is dressed in uniform i mean everybody has their own individual style but everybody's dressed in black for the Mm -hmm. most part yep so there's sort of like a uniformity it looks good it the first time i saw tears for fears you know god bless them in 2004 i mean they they all looked great, but it looked like just like a. <laughs> they all are wearing just completely different clothing. They look kind of like a 
like a cover band playing at a local dive bar. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's going too hard. <laughs> Just like different. If Roland was there, he'd be with... furrowing his brow at you right now. Well, he shouldn't have worn a uh, baseball jersey the first time I saw him. <laughs> I'm calling him out. Wow. So they, they've streamlined their look. Yeah. Well, it wasn't like a baseball. It was like a. If you've ever seen the picture of me meeting him backstage, it's kind of kind of looks like a baseball jersey, but more form fitting. Yeah. <laughs> and just like the baggy jeans. And I guess that's the style of the time too. This was 18 years ago. But, mm-hmm. but look, uh, digging the more uh, professional stage look this time around. For great. what it's worth, it looks sharp. It's, it's worth absolutely nothing, but it looks great. And I, I love his wizard look that he's got now because he just. Something about it. He looks like he's really seen some shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's definitely wearing the trauma that he went through four years ago, five years ago, but uh, he definitely looks older and wiser, and it's cool. Like, I love that he's just leaning into his own, his age, his experience, instead of, like, not that there's anything wrong with dyeing your hair. Do whatever Mm. you want. It's your body. It's your choice. But, uh, to get the natural look. For sure. Uh, it, looks, it looks like a Gandalf, or it looks like Zeus. <laughs> uh, well, of course, Head Over Heels Broken, it's the false ending. And we know they're coming back for the encore. And, Steve, I, th- I this think This is the moment of the show where... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, this is the moment of the show where I got very scared. You got very scared? <laughs> Why did you I get very, very scared? I got very scared. Uh, I had been very good at not watching any clips of the tour other than just looking at the set list I didn't listen to anything but I would briefly hit on a clip of them performing the song End of Night which we established the previous episode even though I have a greater appreciation for this album and the songs on it End of Night still my favorite song yep mine too and he's he had been performing it with an acoustic guitar Roland that is and that's the only two-second clip I've seen of that song, and that's probably from like one of the first dates of the tour. Mm-hmm. So I just assume that he's been playing the acoustic guitar every night to that song. And when they came out and he had his Stratocaster strapped onto him, I was like, oh no, they're not going to do End of Night. They're probably just going to do Change and Shout, and this is going to be their only two-song encore of the show because it's 100 degrees out. They've been talking on stage about how warm they are. <laughs> so they're probably just going to quick get this done and get out of here. Or maybe we're bumping up to the curfew. I know Pine Knob has a very strict curfew, so maybe they only have time for two more. So then, I, yeah, I got really scared. It's like, they're not going to do End of Night. Shit! <laughs> I may as well just go to the car now. Oh. And then what do they hit you with? As soon as I heard... <laughs> Like, all I needed was just that, that drum. Ah, and he fucking, Jamie Wallum just pounds it, too. It's awesome. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was like get, getting walloped, like getting smacked in the face with a big old Christmas ham. It, beautiful. Love the drums on that song. And it did not disappoint. Uh, favorite song on the new album. Favorite thing that I heard that night. It was just, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Change and Shout, which, I mean, come on. 
They're always great. <laughs> but yeah, End of Night was really, that That was the star for me. Like being able to, to hear that, to see that, experience it. And, you know, it's not a single off a new album. So who knows if a few years down the line, if we're going to be able to hear that song again. I don't, I don't know if we will, but just hearing it once is, man, that's scratch niche for me. So I still think they should release it as a single. Yeah, I would. Maybe if they do another, another leg of this tour in the u.s which i've done some fantasy booking <laughs> yeah I, i've uh given them an uh, itinerary for their next uh, u.s tour if they uh decide to come back in the fall are they coming to milwaukee oh of course good 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 yeah i've got them hitting all the markets that they didn't hit so you know they'll get st louis in there too minneapolis oh, it's very midwest centric that's that's what they need to do do a, do a midwest tour in the fall here's the fierce come on yeah, you've done it before. Now is the time, because yeah, we we were talking about this on our on our way back from Detroit. But when was the last time they were in Milwaukee? That was uh, twenty seventy. It was the last time we saw them live. It was at the Bradley Center where they uh, were on that tour with Hall and Oates. Mm-hmm. And then when was the last time they headlined in Milwaukee? Do you know that? Oh well, this is funny. It was two thousand four. Everybody loves a happy ending tour. And they played at the Northern Lights Theater at Potawatomi Casino. Oh, whoa. Which, yeah, I, my parents were there. They said it was amazing. And I'm sure it is because it's such an intimate venue. And I'd be thrilled if they played there and I, I got to see them there. But I... I mean, that's got to be like a 400-person room, right? It's like, tiny. <laughs> it's tiny. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe... Yeah, I'd say anywhere from four to six hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically like a dinner theater style setup. Um, yeah, cool if you have that opportunity, but I think now that would be like I if they came back to Milwaukee, I don't see them doing anything smaller than like the Riverside Theater, which is like a twenty five hundred seat venue. I'm sure they could do mm-hmm. Pfizer form though at this point. Yeah. Yep. Um Fingers so, it, it is crazy, though. You know, 18 years later, they're playing these huge amphitheaters. And this was, I don't know if the show we went to was sold out, but it certainly was, like, worthy of them playing. There were at least 10,000 people there. I mean, I've, been, I've been going to Pine Knob since I was a little kid. I uh, grew up in Michigan. And as far as I can remember, that's the most packed I've, I've ever seen it. The only time I've seen it like comparably crowded would be when I saw uh, Iggy Pop and the Stooges perform like all of uh, Funhouse and they had Sonic Youth opening and it was it was great. And that was back in 2003, 2002. And with the Stooges, that's a that's a Detroit special, too. Yeah, Detroit special, because obviously we're in Michigan, so people go crazy for Iggy Pop and the Stooges. So. And that's the only time I've seen it that crowded. And I, I think Tears for Fears was at that level, if not more crowded. So just to give you an idea. Yeah, I mean, we were all sweaty and packed together like sardines. So it was, it's a cool thing to see as a fan, um, especially after seeing them on the Hollow Notes tour. It was cool to see people like kind of show up slowly as they were playing their set and appreciate them. But it obviously... You know, in Milwaukee, and when I saw them in St. Paul, there's 15,000 people. They're mostly there to see Hall & Oates. Mm-hmm. And I got it at the time, but 
but now seeing that same thing and they're all there to see them it's cool and it sort of uh <laughs> validates my tastes i guess yeah and in case you're wondering i did i did a little research capacity at pine knob is 15,000 so uh which is about 7,000 in the pavilion 8,000 on the lawn i could say without a shadow of a doubt the pavilion was completely packed uh a few open seats here and there but really not that many and then the lawn was pretty crowded too so shoot i mean at, at least probably 12,000 people there would you say if not more yeah yeah i'd say at least that um mm -hmm. good crowd good there was crowd. not a lot of empty space nope no. nope 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 all right well mr coleman Anything else you want to say? I mean, this it might be a long, long, long time before we get to chat again about Tears for Fears. So, uh, any any closing thoughts on this show? Well, I think when I bought these tickets back in November, that um, I felt like this is very likely going to be the last time they'll ever tour, the last time we'll ever see them. It felt like a very like this was going to be the final time, but they seem so invigorated in the fact that they're better than they've ever been. Um, I feel very optimistic that this isn't going to be the last time. Um, but if it is, great way to go out. It's especially for promoting a new album. This is a perfect set. Um, their tour in the U.S. ends this week, so anybody listening to this in the U.S., uh, unless you're out on the East Coast, you you missed it. <laughs> um, but I'm assuming they're going to come back, uh, probably for an, uh, for a second leg in the U.S. Um, and I will, I know I'll definitely go see them again. Um, like they've demonstrated that this is a can't miss show. Um, for sure. And, uh, it's given me even more appreciating appreciation for the tipping point. I still don't know where I'd rank it all time just cause it's still so new, but I mean, it's easily, I think it's easily better than Seeds of Love. I think it's... I would say it's at least top three or four right now, at mm -hmm. least for me. Um, it's the most Tears for Fears record they've ever done. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to say that it's better than... Or no, I shouldn't say better. I don't know if I'd be able to rank it above Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, but it's close. It's close now, especially after that show. Um, so it's it's an unbelievable comeback story and um i'm hoping if at least not a few more tours maybe they'll be inspired to still release new material yeah and something it's nice and i i agree with you my biggest takeaway from this whole thing was uh the band just seemed so happy and energized to me and the new material was fantastic and I I really hope this motivates them to to keep touring, to keep recording, to just keep doing their thing because obviously they still got it. They're they're better than they've ever been. So yeah, it was great great hearing them. So I guess that pretty much wraps things up. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you're saying to yourself, Steve or other Steve, how can we support your podcast? And uh, you can support us on Patreon. So. There's a link in the description of the podcast. You can click on that link and you can send us money. And that money helps pay for podcasting equipment. 
We got we got to we got to fix Steve Coleman's setup right now. I mean, we got we got a real real wild setup we're doing right now trying to trying to record this uh and only your <laughs> and, donations can save us from from podcasting hell. And right Steve now, has been very patient with me today by the way. Oh my god, can can you imagine though if if Roland Orzabal heard this podcast, he'd be so mad at the audio quality. We do, we do a we do a podcast where we're critiquing music essentially, and we're just like, yeah, I don't like the drums on this. He says into like a scratchy microphone with background noise. <laughs> Especially today, there's a the sounds of the city are alive in this apartment. Um, so That's sorry right. if you heard a bus stop in front of my apartment twelve times. That's okay. It's uh, it's it's given a little flavor. That's what we're going for here. So. But anyways, yeah, Patreon support really helps us out. Uh, also, if you listen to us on, you know, iTunes, Spotify, whatever, you can always uh, rate and review the podcast and wherever you listen to it. And that, that helps us out as well. So whatever you're able to do, we appreciate it. We just appreciate you listening. Thank you. This is the Tears for Fears podcast. How many of those are there out there? Uh, probably just ours. So we're, we're, all, we're all that you've got, but gosh darn it, we appreciate you either way, even though you don't have other options. Um, <laughs> and also if you have any questions comments death threats marriage proposals tears for fears trivia uh, whatever you got for us optimism vaccine at gmail.com that's optimism vaccine at gmail.com and we'd we'd love to hear from you uh you could also tweet at us at optimism vaccine on the old twitter and that would be lovely too. So give us a follow. It'd be great to hear from you. Other than that, I, I think that wraps things up. So uh, I mean, until we speak again, Mister Coleman, I, I hope we have some uh, some new material or another tour coming up soon, so we can uh, we can sit down and talk. I look forward to it. Yeah.